0: Acts chapter 2, 41 to 47. When I was living in Budapest one summer, I was there, and a Christian rock group came through town. They were called The Cry. They were from Southern California. And boy, did they fit the part. They were three laid-back boys with long hair and tan skin. They even had a song called, If You're Missing God, You're Missing the Party. And to look at them, they'd be easy to write off as just a few beach bums on a road trip. But when they opened their mouths and they talked with conviction about uh, God and, about, and with depth about the scriptures, I realized that they had substance, that they knew what they were talking about. And I've since learned that they even knew what they were talking about when they titled that song, If You're Missing God, You're Missing the Party. In fact, not only have I come to see that they're right, but I've even realized that you could turn around and it's still very true. If you're missing the party, you're missing God. Beginning last Sunday and during the month of May, we're doing a short series on this passage in Acts 2, and we're asking two questions. First, how do we move forward as a church? After two years of COVID and all that that has meant, How do we as CBC get back to normal or better? What is the new normal that we are stepping into? And then the second question is, how do we do this? How do we move forward in light of Easter, in light of all that we celebrated two Sundays ago? How do we move forward in light of the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was put to death tasted death, experienced death, but then conquered and defeated death and entered into the eternal life, the new life on the other side? How do we move forward in light of the fact that Jesus Christ then ascended to heaven and poured out God's Spirit on all of us, infusing us with the new life, a new reality of God's power, God's love, God's presence with us, To change us, to transform us, to empower us, to fill us up with God. And to make us alive like never before. What does all of that mean for us? And what does it mean for us in May of 2022? As we seek to move forward as a church after two very challenging years. Last Sunday, we began looking at this passage, this description of the so-called Acts 2 church. It's an exciting picture, and it's, it's an attractive picture. In it, we see the early community of Jesus' followers. We see that they were vital, they were compelling, they were vibrant, they were attractive. And my prayer is that as we focus on this community, as we get to know them better, they will give us fresh vision, fresh encouragement, fresh direction as we seek to move together forward. Last Sunday, we saw that this community of followers of Jesus were devoted. They were devoting themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. We also saw why they were so devoted. They had just experienced within the past six weeks the most amazing things. They had experienced their leader, their teacher, their king and Messiah being snatched away from them and tortured to death in the most cruel way. This had crushed them, crushed their hopes, crushed their hearts, crushed their understanding of what following Jesus had been about. But then, three days later, after, or rather, against, all of their expectations against everything they thought was even possible, Jesus was alive again. Resurrected, not come back from death to live a longer human life, only to die again later, but rather gone through death, been transformed to begin enjoying the eternal life, the new life on the other side of death, and yet to be living it as a human being. The resurrection Jesus explained to them that he had defeated death, that he had defeated darkness, and God was installing him as the victorious king of all, and he would include them, his followers, in his victory and in his new life. One way he would do this would be by pouring out his Holy Spirit on all of his followers to fill them with this new life that he was now enjoying, to fill them with joy, to fill them with love, to fill them with power, to fill them with himself. How could they not be devoted after all of that? We also noted how they expressed their devotion and what they were devoted to, not to an institution or to a religion or to an organization, but to four things that Luke lists in verse 42 and then Luke describes in more detail in verses 43 to 47. First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the apostles' ministry, to learn more about Jesus Not all of them had experienced everything Jesus had done during his earthly life, or heard or understood all that Jesus had taught. And now they wanted to know Jesus better, so they devoted themselves to the teaching of those who knew Jesus best, the apostles. Then, as Luke describes this in more detail, he says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So the apostles are not just telling stories about what Jesus had done and explaining why he came. No, they are also doing the things Jesus had done. Bringing the kingdom of God like Jesus had done by setting people free from what bound them uh, by healing those who are hurting and broken. And so now the apostles also are doing this, bringing more of heaven down to earth. And we looked at this in more detail last Sunday. Second, they devoted themselves to, the Greek word is koinonia. And it means a common life or a sharing together. And as Luke describes it, we see that it means sharing their possessions, sharing their time, sharing their uh, meals, sharing life together. They're a tight-knit community, a new family, unselfishly committed to one another. Then third, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. We're going to jump ahead and we're going to look at, in more detail at this one today. This uh, is the one that the band, The Cry, was tapping into with their song title, If You're Missing God, You're Missing the Party. Because this one is about meals. It's about eating together with gladness and with joy. And then fourth, they devoted themselves to prayer, or literally, it's plural, the prayers. And we'll talk more about that in a few weeks. All right, step back now from all of this. What are they devoted to? Well, the Jesus party has begun, and they are devoted to being part of it learning about Jesus, being a spiritual family gathered around Jesus, sharing, doing life together, eating together, celebrating, remembering, praying to Jesus, and then inviting other people to join the party. Jesus has gone through death defeated death and darkness, and entered the life on the other side, the heavenly life, the new creation life. Jesus is bringing that future life back into the present, and through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is enabling his followers to begin to live live and to enjoy that life now. That's what church is supposed to be. Another way to put it, as we saw last Sunday, Jesus has brought heaven down to earth. Heaven is where God is, right? Heaven is where all is as it should be. Heaven is where there's joy and celebration, no more suffering, no more brokenness, only love and wholeness and goodness. And Jesus has begun bringing heaven down to earth so that his followers can begin to enjoy that future now and to share it with others. Wow. (laughs) No wonder they were devoted How about us? Do we realize how much Jesus accomplished when he died and rose from the grave? Do we have any idea what's available to us when Jesus offers us his Holy Spirit as a gift? Do you realize how much we have to enjoy and celebrate and share and to party about? All right, well, let's focus in then today on um, the fact that the early community of Jesus followers devoted themselves to breaking bread. Breaking bread, what does that mean? It's not a phrase we typically use today, unless we're like really biblical in the way we talk. But normal people don't say, oh, let's get together and break bread. Actually, it's, it's also not the usual way that people back then talked either. So what does it mean? Well, there are two main ways that students of the Bible have have interpreted this phrase. One view is that it refers to what we call today the Lord's Supper or communion. Proponents of of this view, as I said, they realize that breaking bread is not the normal way that people back then talked about meals in general, just like it's not for us. They also recognize that, that breaking bread is one of four verbs Used again and again in relation to the communion meal. What are the verbs? Took, gave thanks, broke, and gave. On the night Jesus was betrayed, what did he do? He took bread, he gave thanks to God for it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. Let me give you another example of these verbs from Luke's gospel. As you may know, the the Luke who wrote the book of Acts is the same Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke. In fact, they're a two-part story. Um, And at the end of the first part, at the end of Luke's gospel, when Jesus rose from the dead, Luke recounts how Jesus revealed himself to two of his followers This is in Luke chapter 24. They're walking down the road to a town called Emmaus. And as they're walking, they're joined by a third traveler who's the the, the resurrected Jesus, but they don't know it. They don't recognize him. And they're telling this stranger about their grief and their confusion because a man named Jesus, who they thought was God's Messiah, God's promised king, has been crucified instead by the Romans. And as they walk along, this stranger starts explaining to them from the scriptures that this had to happen, that the Messiah had to be crucified. And then we read in verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over, excuse me. So they went in, or he went in to stay with them. And then listen to this. When he was at the table with them, He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) And again, it's the same four verbs. And these aren't the only places they show up. They also show up when Jesus feeds thousands of people with a few loaves. Through these verbs, the gospel writers are making intentional connections between the communion meal and other times when Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his followers. And one of the things we're supposed to realize through this is that Jesus is particularly present and particularly recognizable in the communion meal. So some interpreters argue that breaking bread this phrase here in Acts 2 is activating these memories of these other stories and sort of shorthand for communion. Other students of the Bible, on the other hand, because we have to argue about everything or see it from different points of view, right? Because we're all so diverse. They say, no, that's reading too much into it. Breaking bread just means eating together. That's all. Or mainly, that's what it is. After all, when when Luke expands on this phrase, breaking bread, in verse 46, he describes what they're doing. He says, they broke bread in their homes, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They're eating together, they're having meals together. These interpreters point out that Jesus was always doing this. Especially in Luke's gospel, Jesus was continually showing up at meals and showing up at parties. We've already looked at the meal that he enjoyed In uh, Luke 24, with the two disciples from Emmaus, how about these other examples? Back in Luke 5, Jesus is at a big party that Matthew, the tax collector, throws. In Luke 7, he's having dinner at a Pharisee's house, and a sinful woman is weeping and pouring perfume at his feet. In Luke 10, Jesus is having dinner at the home of Mary and Martha. In Luke 11, he has dinner with another Pharisee. In Luke 14, with yet another Pharisee where he rebukes some of the guests for picking the best seats at the table. And then in chapter 19, Jesus goes to a party at yet another tax collector's house, Zacchaeus, this time. Then, of course, there's the two times that Jesus made enough bread to feed four or 5,000 people. <clears throat> and finally, of course, there's the meal he enjoyed just before his betrayal and his arrest. A lot of what we know about Jesus happened when he was eating meals with people, when he was going to parties. In fact, Jesus got a reputation for this, right? For being a glutton and a drunkard. For eating too much and drinking too much and for having too much fun. And doing it with the wrong people. And what did Jesus have to say about that? Well, he compared himself to a bridegroom. And he said the people he was coming for were his bride. And he said the wedding is happening. The wedding feast has begun. We have to party and celebrate. And so it's no surprise that when we get to the book of Acts, Jesus' followers keep the party going. They continue to eat together gladly to celebrate. And so some interpreters say that's what Luke means when he says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. So which view is correct? Does the breaking of bread refer to the communion meal? Or does it refer to enjoying meals together in general? Well, as is so often the case with these kinds of arguments, I believe the answer is yes, (laughs) both. Because what those arguing back and forth often forget is that in the Bible, communion, the Lord's Supper, wasn't what we've made it today. It wasn't a solemn ceremony tacked on once a month to a worship service where we all sit in rows and we take a little sip of juice and a little bit of bread. No, in the New Testament, communion, the Lord's Supper, was usually part of a meal or part of a party. It was part of a celebration, a celebration that Jesus had come and lived among us. That Jesus had died on our behalf to take away all of our sins so that we could be forgiven. And that Jesus then rose again, conquered death, and is present with us always through his Holy Spirit. Especially when we enjoy this meal together. And one day he's coming back again, we remember, to take us to be with him forever. And to make all things new and all things right. We have so much to celebrate. And so for the early believers, they couldn't eat together, they couldn't have a party without remembering Jesus and all he was and all that he'd done. And so it was common for them on the one hand, when they ate together, to include the Lord's Supper, it seems, as part of that to remember and celebrate Jesus. And then on the other hand, when they wanted to remember and celebrate Jesus, it was common for them to have a whole meal, to have a party, to do it. So question, I guess, why don't we do this anymore? Well, the short answer is that we've turned church into a ritual and made it as efficient as possible. It's just not practical to have a meal for 100 or more people who want to get in and out of church in an hour and 15 minutes. So we've streamlined it. We've ritualized it. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing or a thing we should look at is is a question for another day. Because what I'd like us to focus on today is this. As we're trying to move forward after COVID. And as we're trying to do it in light of all we celebrated two weekends ago. The Easter reality that Jesus is risen from the grave to bring the reality of a new age, of life, of hope, of power. And as Jesus has poured out his Holy Spirit, bringing more of heaven down to earth, and as we as Jesus' followers get to live in that reality and enjoy that reality and share that reality, living in light of all of that is going to mean being devoted to some things. And one of them is breaking bread in all that that means. One of them is joining in the Jesus party. Why is breaking bread so important? And why especially now in May of 2022? As we seek to move forward as a church after all we've been through in the past couple years, as we seek to move forward in light of Easter and in light of Pentecost. Well, one way to think about it, compare a meal enjoyed with friends to a zoom meeting. A meal happens somewhere. You go there. You uh, anticipate it as you go. Maybe you bring something with you to share. We arrive, right? We, are, there are greetings, maybe hugs. We sit down together. We chat. We smell the food. We comment how it looks when we sit down at the table. We pass it. We share it. We taste it. We enjoy it together. We talk We laugh. We joke. We tell stories. Hopefully, we're relaxed. Maybe we linger. Maybe we enjoy being together. Maybe we have dessert, play a game. Maybe the kids go off and have fun on their own. Eventually, there are goodbyes. We pull ourselves apart, and we go our separate ways. Compare that to a Zoom meeting. We don't go anywhere. There isn't much anticipation we click on. Our friends instantly appear, They're small, they're in a little rectangle, there's no touch, no taste, no smell, no passing or sharing, no side conversations, maybe some jokes, maybe some stories, maybe some goodbyes, and then it's all over as quickly as it began and we're just in front of an empty screen. And it is certainly better than nothing, right? As we've experienced these last couple of years, but it is not the same as a real meal or a real party. It's lacking quite a bit. And, and what Anne and I have talked about and begun to realize um, these past couple of years is we've sort of gotten, um, we sort of forgotten how good it is to be together with others. And we've gotten out of the habit of eating together with others, especially during the cold winter months where you can't go outside. And it's taking real intentionality to change those habits and to get back into some older habits. And um, I totally respect those of you who have health concerns around COVID. But for the majority of us, I'm convinced that if we're going to get back to what CBC best is, we've got to get back in the habit. We've got to redevote ourselves to eating together. That's why we did a potluck last Sunday, which we enjoyed, right? Thank you, Sue, and others, those of you who brought food. That's why the men got together for a movie and for food um, last weekend and for a fire pit and conversation. That's why two Sundays ago, some of you had others over for Easter dinner. There are a lot of ways to do this, a lot of ways to devote ourselves to breaking bread together if we're creative. It doesn't even have to be in our house. We don't have to cook a big meal. We could go on a picnic together with a few others. We could go out for dinner together or for dessert or for coffee We could take a hike together and end it by getting ice cream or a cold drink. It could be around the fire pit in the backyard. It could be over pizza or burgers on the grill. There are a lot of ways to eat together. And if we're going to continue growing into what we're meant to be as a community of Jesus followers, we really need to find ways to do this together. Families, if, you're currently, if you currently live with your family, that's the place to start. Question, if you live with your family, do you eat a meal together each day with the TV off and the phones put away? At least most days, do you eat a meal together? It doesn't have to be dinner. It could be breakfast, whatever, depending on your schedule. But meals together are such an important time to touch base together about our days, to stay connected. Sometimes lately, our family, we don't do this regularly, I wouldn't say, at least not yet, but sometimes we'll each share a high or a low about our day. It's a chance to share who we are and what we've been going through, with, with, uh, to share that with one another so we're not alone in what we're going through. It's a chance to be grateful together um, and to share the joys and the good things. And it seldom feels profound in the moment, but it's building lots of little connections that add up over time to relationship, to connection, to not being alone, to knowing each other and to being in each other's lives. For others of you, you're not really part of a family anymore. And so for you, as for all of us, we're part of a bigger family together. And that's not just a nice religious idea. It's supposed to be a reality. But let me ask you, how is it going to be a reality if we don't even eat together? So question, what can you do in the next couple weeks, let's say, to eat together, to break bread together? Because we need to understand and step into the amazing reality that the Acts 2 church understood. Jesus is throwing the biggest, most amazing party ever, and we are all invited together to be at that party. So let's continue to worship.